Welcome to the Doggy Juice Podcast, an analytics-based sports betting podcast that will teach you how to become a sharp sports better. This is episode one, Monday, September 3rd, 2018, Labor Day, and we're coming off week one of college football and are awaiting the start of the new NFL season here in 2018. And I just have to say, I'm very excited about this. I've been thinking about this podcast for several weeks and months now. Um, the idea for it came up several months back, but I wanted to wait until football season to actually start it. So, quick little biography on me. Um, my name's Mike, aka Doggy Juice. Um, I'm an attorney living in Chicago, where I was born and raised, and I've been betting on sports for over 13 years since college. And it kind of goes way back from there. I mean, I, I've always been a part of March Madness and fantasy sports, like since junior high. It's just, I guess you could just say that gambling's in my DNA. And I feel like gambling's in the DNA of, of many people, even if they don't know it. I feel like we take gambles all the time uh, in our everyday lives when we don't even think about it. And I'm just drawn to that, that whole idea of wagering on games of chance, for lack of a better term. So this podcast itself, um, what's it going to be about? Well, on May 14th of this year, the Supreme Court overturned the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, and that allowed states to decide on their own whether or not they want to allow sports betting. And since that time, several states have enacted legislation and have jumped in the ring rather quickly. Uh, those include Delaware, New Jersey, Mississippi, West Virginia, and obviously Nevada was already grandfathered in. So these are exciting times. It's kind of like the Wild West out there. Um, many states are introducing legislation or have introduced legislation. There's, there's a strong chance that the state you're living in will enact sports betting legislation in the near future if it hasn't already. Um, I'm going to be focusing more on Illinois-based information since I'm, I live in Chicago and since I'm aware of, of the Illinois law. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to be covering other states as well because I feel like Illinois is going to be potentially introducing bills that copy or mirror some of the, the bills that are introduced in other states. So I think it's very important to be aware of what's going on in other states in order to gain a pulse on where things are going to go in the future. So a little more about me. I, I interned at CBS Sports in Cedar Rapids in college and actually had my own sports talk show on TV there. It was the only student-run sports TV show at the University of Iowa called Incompetent Sports Talk. And the name really kind of <laughs> represents what the show is like. Um, the world got a nice little dose of my hot takes there uh, from 2007 to 2009. You can find some of the old videos on YouTube. So feel free to check out my hot takes. Um, but obviously that didn't involve any takes on sports betting related information, even though at the time I was betting. Uh, but me as the sports better now, um, it's, it's rather complicated. I mean, I feel like me and all of my friends growing up, we're all involved in some way, shape or form in sports betting. And I took it, I started to take it a little bit more seriously about three years ago, um, because back in the day, I mean, I would I, I would bet on my favorite teams the past 13 years early on, and but I fell victim to all the things that most new betters fall victim to: um, recency bias, betting on what I wanted to see, betting on my favorite teams, 
you name it. Uh, but luckily, I never bet high amounts of money. It was never really an issue at all for me. Um, luckily, my money management was decent because I wasn't betting a lot. But I saw a lot of guys make mistakes. And now, the past three years, I've really picked up a lot of knowledge on how to bet, um, what to avoid while betting, and various handicapping strategies that I would love to share right now because I think, I think educating new bettors is more important now than ever. And that's the idea behind this podcast, to to teach new bettors how to attack things in a way that they're not used to um, in betting, but also keeping it simple. I mean, there, I think there's something that's going to be in this for anybody, someone who just wants to throw some pizza money down on games for the weekend or even up to people who want to try and take this seriously and, and um, try and find edges out there. And just like any market in any anywhere, any type of market, the, the sports betting market is ripe for, for picking if, if you're disciplined and if you are uh, very prudent in your approach. So I'm hoping to pass along some of the stuff I've learned the past few years to you. Um, it just happened by chance that three years ago I stumbled upon um, the late, great David Malinsky um, online. He was generously posting articles online, and I just happened to, f- to fall into him by chance. And um, This podcast is dedicated to him. He unfortunately passed away one month to the day before the Supreme Court overturned PASPA, which is a brutal irony because I believe that no one was better equipped to educate new betters than he so I'm only hoping that I can pass along some of the information that he taught me uh, over the years on this podcast. And I'm going to be incorporating a lot of handicapping techniques and um, concepts that he taught me over the past few years. So his, his legacy will hopefully live on through this. And this is definitely dedicated to him. So this podcast itself, a little bit more about it. Um, I don't know where it's going to go from here. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm... I've never done a podcast before, and I am very intrigued to see where it's going to go from here, but my idea is to have, I'm aiming for two episodes per week, at least. I'm going to, at least during football season right now, I'm going to start with, I'm going to have one come out on Monday or Tuesday that's going to look back at the previous weekend's action and also look at the posted lines for the the next week's action, kind of take a look and see if we can find value on the board. And then I'm going to have another podcast later in the week on Thursday or Friday looking at the line moves and previewing the weekend's games ahead and everything on the schedule to come. And I'll offer some best bets, some handicapping strategies to use, um, anything that can, can help you out uh, with your weekend action. And I'm, I'm hopeful that I could just, if I could help you in one way, if you get one thing out of this, it's going to be worth my time. So we'll see how it is. I mean, my main aim is just to educate new bettors entering the ring and really just teach people to go in slowly and to be prudent in every bet you make because you do need to win 52.38% of your bets in order to just break even when you're betting a standard minus 110 line. I think that's very important because that's how sports books make their money. Um, Unfortunately, the lines are usually right. They're usually very sharp lines, especially games that are high-profile games on national television when there's so much betting action. The simple fact of the matter is markets, and especially betting markets, are very efficient, and, and it's very hard to gain edges over the market. And 
in reality, a lot of people just win over a long period of time, 50% of their bets, and you're going to lose out on on the VIG, the minus 110 VIG, uh, over that time period. So the aim here is to win at least 52.38% of those bets. Um, professional sports bettors target 55%, and that's very difficult to do. But hopefully after listening to this podcast, um, every every week you're going to pick up some of the strategies you need to get over 52.38%. Um, also, I'm trying to keep these episodes under 25 minutes, like 25 to 30 minutes. I think that's reasonable. I don't. I know people are busy these days, have other stuff to do, other podcasts you want to listen to, work to get done. So my aim is to get this done in, in each episode in, in, a, in a time period that you can listen to on your way to work. I think a 30-minute commute in Chicago is pretty standard for a lot of people that live in the... Um, right off the L or nearby, nearby the L. So hopefully a little, little morning commute action, something like that. So why are we here before we move on to the main subject, which is going to be the 10 commandments of sports betting? Um, we're here because you want to bet. I don't think you'd be listening to this. Otherwise you could be serious about betting or you could be looking to just throw some money down on your weekend games. Um, but obviously you're here for that reason, and we're going to try to make you win those bets. I'm going to assume that there's a basic knowledge of sports betting from you by listening to this. Like, you know what a straight bet is. You know what a parlay is. You understand the VIG. I'm not going to get to that level where I'm you know, explaining very basic concepts. But if you do have any questions, do not hesitate to contact me with any questions. You can reach me on Doggy Juice on Twitter or Instagram. So please feel free to shout out if you have any questions, and most importantly, if you have any comments on this on this podcast as well, on how to make it better, too. And this could suck. I mean, <laughs> we'll see where it goes from here, but I have no idea, and I'm hoping that I can at least impart some knowledge onto people to help them in one way. So we'll see how it goes. I'm just hoping that I can, like I said before, help you with one thing, and I consider this a success. So without further ado... Um, Let's get into it. The Ten Commandments of Sports Betting. One. Thou shall have a bankroll. So in the end, bankroll is all that matters. I mean, after all, that's why we're doing this, to make money. We're betting on sports because we want to make money betting on sports. We're not just donating our money, although unfortunately that's what the majority, the vast majority of sports bettors do. Um, Money management is essential, and I cannot stress this enough. This is easily the most important of the Ten Commandments because, simply put, your bankroll is your ability to make sports bets. Um, I can't overstate enough how important developing your bankroll and establishing that early on is to your process. Now, bankroll is going to be different to everybody, and I it varies heavily. I don't judge people for how much they're betting, but if I have to offer one piece of advice, take a look at how much money you typically spend on one night out and go from there, with the theory being that you can afford to not go out once a week. Um, that makes a little bit of sense to me. I mean, if you have a set amount that you can afford to lose just by not going out once a week or once every two weeks when you normally would, that can 
that can help um, ease the burden of losing in a bad run with sports betting because good runs and bad runs are going to happen. The law of large numbers says that. You're going to have long winning streaks. You're going to have long losing streaks. It's going to happen. So come up with a number that will allow you to withstand those losing streaks that are inevitably going to come. Now, money management is key, and people always find a way to screw this up, it seems. So if you really have any questions with it, um, feel free to reach out to me, and, and I can at least tell you where to start. But anywhere from a $100 gambling bankroll up to you name it amount is enough because you can work from there, especially when we move on to our second of the Ten Commandments. Two. Thou shall have a unit size. So a unit is your typical bet amount, your standard wager, if you will, and that should be no more than 1% to 2% of your total bankroll. So if your bankroll is $1,000, then 1% of that is $10. That would be your standard unit size, or 2% is $20. So you want your standard unit size to be your standard bet amount to be 10 or $20 in that instance. If your bankroll is $2,000, then you could do $20 unit for 1% or $40 unit for 2%, so somewhere in that range. Um, this is where the Kelly Criterion comes into play as well. Um, the Kelly Criterion basically says that your stake should be proportional to the perceived edge in your bet. Um, but we're going to dive into that more later in a later episode because it's it's more complicated but it is important but we're not going to concern ourselves with that here uh, because it is nuanced but one concept i'm going to discuss is the one two three star system versus the four five six star system with the idea being that if you have a greater edge you're going to bet more than one unit you'll bet three units or two units instead of just one unit. And if you have less of an edge, you're going to bet one unit or half a unit or what have you. Uh, the one, two, three star system calls for if your standard bet size is, if your unit is $100, then if it's a two unit play, you're going to bet $200. If it's three units, that's $300. Um, the four, five, six theory is a little more conservative and it's one that I personally subscribe to, where if your typical unit size is $100, then if you have more of a perceived edge, you will bet $125. And then six for five stars and six stars would be $150. Um, so in that scenario, you're pretty much capping yourself at just 1.5 times your, your basic unit size. And given the vagaries of sports betting and all of the shenanigans that happen, the way the ball bounces, I think you're going to rip out your hair a lot less. And those bad beats are going to sting a little bit less. If you're more conservative, especially at the beginning, so if if your unit size is $100, I wouldn't spend more than $150 on a bet unless it was just outrageous value. Um, we will touch base on that a little more later, because unit size is important. But once you have your your standard your bankroll set and your unit size, you're equipped to go from there. It's going to take a long time to lose all your bankroll betting one unit plays, and this is not the most exciting way to amass a bankroll and to gain money, but it's easily the most surefire way. And any sports betting professional will tell you it's the only way to win 
It's just racking up edges over time, slowly building and scraping out edges. It's it's not exciting, but that's how you win in this game. Three. Thou shall have multiple outs. It's all about getting the best number. And if there's one piece of advice I can give you that you can put into play immediately right now that will yield the biggest impact for you right away, then this is it. I can't stress enough that you should have more than one site that you're betting on or one place where you're making your wagers, because otherwise that's the only place. You can't shop lines and find the best number. And in today's day and age with so many offerings out there, I think that's so important. And when I started doing this, I that's when I saw my biggest jump right away in results, because it'll amaze you how many times the number comes into play on close games. I mean, if it's all, if you're, if you're laying three when you could be laying two, or if you're, if you're betting plus seven when you can be getting plus seven point five, that can make all the difference. Um, when you look at the results of sporting events and normal distribution and standard deviation, which I will touch on in later episodes, you realize the most likely outcomes when they happen, you want to have the best number, and getting the best number is is immense. So, I recommend having at least three outs, three places where you can make make wagers. And at least one of them a square book, and at least one of them a sharper book, because you'll find the biggest dichotomy there on, um, on numbers. Um, so in terms of offshore websites, and this should also come with the caveat that I'm not telling people to bet illegally. Um, you can bet legally at these websites offshore, um, but Bavada is known as being one of the squarest books out there, and five dimes is one of the sharper books. So if you have both of those books, you will notice that the numbers are, are off. Sometimes you'll get an extra point on an underdog on Bovada, and you'll get an extra point on a, on a favorite on, on five dimes. So and that, that really makes a difference in the long run. So getting the best number is absolutely huge, and I can't stress that one enough. You should have multiple outs for sure. Four. Thou shall only bet with positive EV. This concept is extremely important, but it's also extremely complicated. It's probably the one that I'm going to touch on the most in the future, but I'm also going to delve into it more at length in a future episode because it's so complicated. But the basic idea is this. Only bet with positive expected value on that individual bet alone in a vacuum. So you're looking for positive EV, and what is expected value? Well, I'm about to use a math equation here, and just let it be known, I'm not a math guy at all, never have been, not a big fan of math, but I'm more of a fan of math when I can use it to help make me money, and that's what I've learned to do here. So if I could do it, anybody can, and it's really not that complicated, but expected value is equal to the probability of winning multiplied multiply by the amount won per bet minus the probability of losing multiplied by the amount lost per bet. So I'm going to give examples of that at a future date, but the basic concept is the same, that you want to win over 52.38% of your wagers just to break even. So you need to find something that's going to overcome the VIG. Positive EV bets is the only way to win in the long run. But if you find bets that are positive EV, 
and you stay true to your unit size and have an established bankroll and are keen on your money management, then you're on your path. That's what's going to get you the profit that you're searching for. Thou shalt not buy points. I used to fall victim to this when I started betting because it just looks so nice to buy a half a point, you know, to instead of getting five and a half points, getting six points plus five and a half. No, I'll buy a half point and make it plus six. But the problem is the points are not worth the price you are paying. And Using normal distribution as standard deviation, which we're going to get into more in a future episode, like I said earlier, will help you realize that. There are so many different outcomes in a sporting event, and especially when there's higher variability in outcomes, the points become less valuable. So it's basically never worth buying a half of a point because you're just paying too much in the long run. You just have to win more bets to overcome the price you're paying. Um, the exception here is key numbers. Um, in football, I think it's probably the only sport where that really comes into play, but there's some other ones as well, like in baseball, uh, a total of nine. Um, but more so in football, um, key numbers being three and seven, and less key numbers being 10, 13, 14, 17. You kind of get the picture. However, that this is more of a, an advanced concept, but key numbers are kind of losing their value now, with especially in the NFL, with um, some of the, the extra point rules. But I'll get into that at a later date. Um, but sometimes it is worthwhile to buy a half point when you're buying into a key number. But that also should come with the caveat that if it's a higher variability game, like a higher projected total, the numbers become less valuable. So if it's a lower scoring game, or expected to be a lower scoring game, then and, and if you're buying half a point to get to a key number like three or seven, then it might be worth your while. It still probably isn't, but depending on the price you're paying, it can be. But as a general rule, never buy half points. Six, thou shall not do parlays. I know, I know, parlays are fun and exciting. There's nothing like that feeling of hitting the really low-risk, high-reward parlay. But let me tell you, you're paying for it. The payouts on parlays are nowhere near the true odds that you should be getting on your wager. Think about it. You have to hit every leg of a parlay in order to cash it. If you got a five-team parlay, you hit four legs. Fifth leg still has to hit, otherwise you could just throw away your ticket. Now... I understand the whole lottery mindset, risking a little to win a lot. It seems counterintuitive, but you're going to lose much more money in the long run betting parlays than you are with straight bets, and it's not even close. So I'm going to explain this with an example here, and it's going to involve some math, but nothing that's too complicated. So let's say you're a random grandma, and you want to put down some coin on a game, but you have no idea what you're doing. So it's a 50-50 chance when you're betting into a minus 110 line that you're going to win your bet. And with the 50% chance, that means grandma's going to lose in the long run because, like I've said, 
She has to hit 52.38% just to break even in the long run. So Grandma's going to lose money if she keeps betting straight bets. But it's fun. She'll lose slow. Maybe. But then she realizes, hey, instead of betting $110 to win $100, I could bet $100, the money I'd be winning if I won my bet, and I could bet on a five-team parlay. And if that wins, I win $2,000. $100 turns into 2000 Now, I'm just going to use for simplicity, uh, most sports books offer 20 to 1 on five-team parlays, 20 to 1 payout. Some offshore books offer up to 24 to 1. That varies, but that still doesn't matter even when you factor it into this equation. But just for simplicity, I'm going to use 20 to 1, which is more more typical. So in this instance, Grandma, instead of just trying to win the $100 on a straight bet, she decides to put $100 down on the five-team parlay. Now when this happens and she has a 50% chance of winning each bet, you have to multiply 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5 for each leg. And when you do that, that comes out to 0.03125 or 3.125%. So that means grandma, if she does five-team parlay, she has a 3.125% chance to hit the five-teamer to win all five bets. Now, using our expected value formula from before, her expected payout is 0.03125. Multiply that times 2,000, which is how much money she would win. Subtract that, so minus the difference, which is 0.96875, 96.875% chance she's going to lose. Multiply that by 100. That simplifies to 62.5 minus 96.875, which in the end equals 34.375. Actually, negative 34.375. So in other words, for every $100 that Grandma bets on the parlay, she can expect to lose $34.38 instead of her her standard expected loss of $9.09 for a standard $100 $100 bet at minus 110 juice. So instead of over time having a $9.09 expected loss, over time for every $100 she spends, now she has $34.38 per $100 that she can expect to lose. That's pretty eye opening when you put it that way. It's just simple math. They take out too much, the books on the parlays. You should be getting a way bigger payout than you're getting on the true odds. And if you do enough of this over time, you're just fighting a losing battle. So as you can see, betting parlays involves you actually risking more, but with a lower probability of winning. It just does not work out. There is an exception to this, and it's correlated parlays. However, most sports books will not allow you to do this. Um, An example of a correlated parlay would be um, an underdog, heavy underdog, and the under. So let's say Ohio State is laying 38 points at home to Toledo. And the total in the game is only, we'll say, 52 points. So the total is 52. Ohio State is favored to win by 38. Then taking the underdog, Toledo, plus the under, is correlated. Simply put, if the game's lower scoring, then there's a better chance Toledo is going to cover that massive spread. I mean... Ohio State might not even score 38 points, and then the under automatically cashes in that instance. So 
that's heavily correlated. Sports books will not let you bet that most of the time, depending on how correlated it is. And I can go on to the nuances in that later on. But just for just for simplicity, understand that parlays are never a good thing unless you can find that rare correlated parlay. Seven. Thou shall not do teasers. So teasers are a very similar concept to parlays in that you are paying for the points that you're buying and you're paying too much for them. The numbers that you're buying on teasers are simply just coming at a price that is not worth it. And this is especially true in high-variance games like college football games with high totals. Now, there is an exception to doing teasers, and that is when you're teasing through key numbers in football when it's a low total. And those key numbers are 3 and 7, usually. That's the only scenario when I'll actually do it. So, for example, let's say the Packers are laying 8.5 points at home, and you could do a 6-point teaser. Um, If you do a two-leg teaser, you could tease through those key numbers of 7 and 3 to get the Packers at minus 2.5. And And in that instance, you are getting a lot of value going through those key numbers. And let's say you want to pair that with the second leg being, for example, the Atlanta Falcons at plus 2.5 by 6 points, cross through the key numbers of 3 and 7, you're getting plus 8.5 on that one. So minus two and a half on the Packers, plus eight and a half on the Atlanta Falcons. In that instance, it makes sense if the totals are supposed to be lower, so there's less variance in the game. So this especially will be useful when you have a lower total, like the Baltimore Ravens, Buffalo Bills, week one, which in my opinion I think is a low, um, there's value on the under in that one as well. Uh, But that's another story. So if you're looking at a game like that where there is a lower range of outcomes, and the points are more valuable, then it could be worth your while doing a teaser, but that's only if you cross through the key numbers of 3 and 7. 8. Thou shall not blindly hedge. Do not hedge your position in a game, during a game, or in any other scenario, unless that hedge is a bet that brings a positive expectation of winning, positive EV, on its own in a vacuum. So refer back to rule number four on only making a bet when that individual bet yields positive EV. Otherwise, you're just giving away precious vig on the other side, and the book is cleaning up on both bets, and you don't want to give away that value. The exception on hedging is when it's life-changing money, and that's different for all people. If you're dealing with life-changing money, you know it when it's happening, and that usually will only come into, into play when you have, let's say, a future bet or something with a large payout that you risk very little on. And even in that instance, if the hedge or the new bet does not bring positive EV, you should not be doing it technically. If you do, it at least makes sense in that scenario if it's life-changing money. But besides that, you don't want to be hedging in any way. So I remember when I started betting a few years ago more seriously, if I got, let's say, a really good number on an over in a college basketball game, let's say I had over 145, and in the middle of the game it's very high scoring early on, and the live number is up to 158. So that would mean I have a 13-point middle if I want to bet back on the other side. 
it's only smart in that instance to bet back on the under, the live under, to catch that 13-point middle if that bet on its own is a good positive EV bet. Otherwise, just trying to lock in a middle and lock in a profit, it sounds good, but you're giving away VIG on the other side and it's not positive EV, you're not going to win in the long run doing that. So only hedge and go for that middle if the new bet on its own is a positive EV bet. 9. Thou shall not tilt. This one's easier said than done, and it's a big problem with bettors who are just starting out, and it's the primary reason why books make their money and why bookies will always collect with these. You don't want to tilt. It's just, remember the law of large numbers, that long winning streaks, long losing streaks are going to happen over enough uh, trials. It's just going to happen. It's that simple. Just trust the math. Um, On the flip side, don't get greedy. If you're winning a lot, maybe look to increase your unit size a tiny bit, but I would recommend not doing that, especially if you're a new better. If you're winning, just stick to your process. Don't get greedy. Don't get cocky because that's how guys lose their money too, by doubling it down or something like that, and then you lose. So just beware of that. And there's a few other things you want to beware of um, that I'll touch on really quickly. The first one being gambler's fallacy or do theory. And gambler's fallacy basically means it's the belief that if something happens more frequently during a given time period, then it will happen less frequently in the future. And people get burned by that all the time. If it's not predictive of the future, then you shouldn't worry about it. Just because red has come up on the roulette wheel 15 times in a row, it offers no predictive value that the next spin's going to be red. It's still a 50-50 proposition, or I guess if you're including the zero and double zero, it's still the same proposition as it was the previous 15 trials. It just happened to be 15 times in a row that it landed on red. You could flip a coin 10 times and it can land heads all 10 times. It does not make it more likely that heads is going to come up the 11th time. Um, recency bias, this one's big. Um, I fell victim to it when I first started betting. Most bettors will only remember what they saw last. Um, classic example of this, um, you can look at the Notre Dame-Michigan game that just happened. Notre Dame looked really good. Michigan did not look very good. People are going to remember that and probably bet accordingly in week two. Hint, hint. Confirmation bias. Beware of thinking that you were right when in reality you had the wrong handicap and just got lucky. People fall victim to this all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, I was right on that one. Of course, I, you know, when you win a bet, you think that you did everything right in the handicapping. Don't think that way. Always look to see what you could have done differently. Even if you won, um, it could help your process moving forward. 10. Thou shall be willing to adapt. This concept is kind of broad, but I want you to at least be introduced to it because I think it's changing. Right now we're in a new era of sports betting. If you look at the European sports betting market, a lot of it revolves around live betting. And I feel like live betting is the way of the future here in the United States. It already is very popular um, on offshore websites. But simply thinking within the confines of a, of a typical minus 110 line before a game starts will only be shortchanging yourself in the future. I think it's really important to look to find an edge whenever it's there. And sometimes the softest and most exploitable lines out there are 
the edges you will find in derivative markets and live wagering. So like a first half line or a prop bet for a certain player. Um, there could be a particular advantage or edge that's that's there. That's not in the the regular minus 110 on either side offering. So always be willing to adapt, always willing to consider new ways to find value and find an edge when you're sports betting because that's what it's all about. I mean, another example is is searching for certain tells at the beginning of a game. Um, David Malinsky was all about this concept uh, early on in a game. If you could realize something that's going to tip off a way a certain coach is going to be calling plays or of the way a certain team feels with their motivation at the beginning of the game, you might be able to exploit a live wagering line that is that has a ton of value at that offering. Usually sports books will just go by the book with the, their offering and a live line. Um, they'll go to the chart, so to speak, and you could find value when they're just going to the chart when you're realizing something that they're not factoring into the line. That's where you find value. So that's it. That's the Ten Commandments of Sports Betting, brought to you by Doggy Juice. I am very confident that if you follow rules one through four while avoiding rules five through nine, then you're going to be on the right path towards hitting your over 52.38% and profiting from watching the games you love. Sounds pretty cool. Um, The next thing I'm going to do really quickly is just go over the legal status of sports betting in Illinois. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, the Supreme Court decision on May 14th allowed states to decide what they want to do in terms of sports betting legislation, and it's the Wild West out there right now. There's new states that have entered the ring. This year, it's an election year in November of 2018, so things are moving a bit slow in a lot of states, and Illinois is one of those. There have been a few bills introduced um, in the last session but nothing got off the ground, and right now nothing's going to be discussed until the next term, which is after the November 6th election. So everything's stuck in limbo right now due to the elections coming up in November, but there is a lot of optimism that sports betting will be legalized in Illinois within the next year or so. But we all have to stay tuned to see if that's going to be the case. All right, so the concept behind this is I'm going to be, at least every episode, offering some sort of math tip or some sort of handicapping concept that you can put into play right away and use for your future bets. So for this one, for the first one, I'm just going to quickly inform you about calculating win percentages based off the vigorish or the vig. In order to do that, you simply just divide the number by 100. So as an example, if the Chicago Cubs are laying minus 160 at home against the Cincinnati Reds, you divide 160 by 260, which means the Cubs have a 61.538% chance to win according to that line. So if you have a model or you figure that the Cubs have more than that percentage chance to win the game, you can find value on the line, betting on the Cubs. Vice versa if you're betting on the on the Reds. Another example would be the Golden State Warriors laying minus 600 at home. 600 divided by 700 equals 0.8571, which means that according to that line, the Warriors have an 85.71% chance of winning the game. 
If you think it's way less than that, you should be betting the other side. If you think it's way more than that, you should be betting the Warriors, even at that price. All right, so honestly, this podcast has gone longer than I intended it to. And for that, I apologize, but just bear with me because this is the first episode. But really quickly, I'm just going to touch on a few NFL points, hopefully give some actionable betting information. Doggy Juice went up 10.4 units in week zero and week one of college football. So we're off to a nice start to the season. For the NFL season win totals, the Vultures got to the best numbers, so you're not going to find any value probably anymore in these next few days before the season starts. I personally am sitting with an Indianapolis Colts over six wins ticket and a Buffalo Bills under 6.5 wins ticket, which I think was just a total gift because I've the Bills power rated as the worst team in the NFL. Um, I have some good week one bets that I've made, but the numbers are no longer there on, on those. However, back to the Buffalo Bills being the worst team, somehow the Baltimore Ravens opened minus three at home against the Bills, which would imply that they're equal teams with home field being typically around three points. And that's just madness to me. That number has been bet up, but I do think that there is value on betting on the Baltimore Ravens at anything less than a touchdown. There's still some minus six, minus 6.5s out there that I see. The Bills are god-awful. I have them power rated about close to five points worse than the Ravens. And then with the home field advantage, that would imply that anything less than a touchdown is, has some value on the Ravens. So... I think the Ravens at less than a touchdown is a, is a safe bet, a good bet for week one. What's next to come here? I'm going to release episode two later this week, most likely Friday, September 7th, with a look ahead on the weekend action in the NFL and college football. And I'm also going to focus on how trends are narrative and not necessarily predictive and how you should avoid blindly following trends, but also situations where trends can be useful to your handicapping process. Um, I plan on touching on that in the next episode. So hopefully you enjoyed this week's first episode, the first ever episode of the Doggy Juice Pod. It's a work in progress, but I appreciate you sticking around and listening. Hopefully I gave you some information that will help you win some bets in the future. So without further ado, I'm going to head out. Thanks for listening. Good luck on all of your bets. All right. Doggy juice out. (laughs) 